Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. Ah, there you go. The old LaCroix. The old LaCroix. The green screen was working. This would be transparent. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get a green screen. That would be way better than what I got going on right now. Mm. Sean. John, you got weak game going on right now. It's two weeks in a row with the you, uh, what, you, cell phone recording. You don't like the uh, well, the, the the previous was it was a little different, but you don't like the uh, the Jack's Pier in the back. Oh, Jack's Pier is nice. That's it. So, Chris, just to catch you up on in the last within the last four weeks, three of those podcasts have been on Sean's cell phone. One of them's been his actually two have been in his car. <laughs> so he's he's been struggling with technical this, difficulties. This computer is uh, on its last legs. We're going to get you a, a MacBook. But anyways, John, we got a guest today. So you want to kick it off, intro the guest, and then we'll dive into what we're doing today? We'll yes, get to beers, sir. Uh, so we brought on Chris Ream. Uh, he's a CFP that works here uh, with us at Singe Advisory Group. Uh, has a, a very deep background in insurance um, in just overall risk management uh, and estate planning. So we brought Chris on. Uh, or we're bringing Chris on today because we've had a lot of people uh, inquire about insurance. When should they buy it? What type? Um, you know, what's important to cover? Uh, so there's a lot of different avenues we can go there. Uh, and, and, you know, Jack and I are obviously both CFPs as well. Um, but we want to make sure we bring on a specialist. And that's where Chris comes in because he's going to be able to give us a really deep knowledge on, on some areas that we may utilize occasionally from time to time. Uh, but he's he's somebody who's in the weeds with this kind of stuff on a very uh, on a very granular level on a daily basis. Um, so with that said, uh, Chris, welcome. Welcome Thanks. aboard. Thank you very much. And I'm I'm really proud to be joining Sand Advisors, and I really like that. Like everybody's a CFP because that does matter. And I'm not just saying that. It's it's a designation that is respected, and you have to work to get it. And not that many insurance advisors have CFP and it helps me a lot because it, it is all about planning first. And then how does the insurance make your plan better? Yeah. I think I'm going to reemphasize that. I, I've never th- thought to tell this to a client. I don't know why, but is your insurance advisor only insurance license? If that's the case, they're technically not taking a fiduciary to do what's best for you. So we're all CFPs here. Again, we say this is craft advice because we drink on the show, so it's <laughs> not actual advice. But if you want to take it offline, we'll have contact information for all of us. We'll sit with you one-on-one, go through everything. But, Chris, we always start with what you're drinking. Sean, I'm going to kick it over to you. What's so Southern I've Swells? A, I've got a nice little double IPA here from Southern Swells uh, in honor of the uh, the players that was uh, here recently in Jacksonville. This one's called Just Tap It In. Ooh. Little, Is that what they select just for the TPC? What's that? Yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, a special brew they did just for uh, TPC. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. I'm, uh, I'm drinking LaCroix uh, just because I'm cutting some weight at the moment. Like, I can't drink. <laughs> so. Hey, it's acceptable. We've had a couple sober shows. So we will, now that we are on the other side of those sober shows, I'm drinking and. I don't even know where this brewery is. I probably need to look more into this. But, oh, Wesley Chapel. There we go. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's called the other West Coast. So sorry, California. I'm sorry, Sean and Chris, but yeah, the other West Coast. Oh. So it is a IPA from Escape Brewing in Westwood Chapel, Florida. So just a little north of Tampa. So cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cool. Cool. All right, Sean, where do you want to start with this? What insurance stuff burns your brain or clients ask you about burning their brain? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the way that that I look at it, it is obviously at different stages in your life, right? You're going to need different types of insurance, uh, you know, if you're a younger individual, whether if you're a, somebody who's middle-aged or somebody who's older, what kind of employment situation you have, whether you're self-employed or whether you work for a big corporation. Um, I think that kind of de- determines, you know, also, also – you're married, your kids, what kind of liabilities you have, right? Some of those are, are different considerations when determining what kind of uh, life insurance is important. So maybe let's start with a really basic level. Uh, you know, Chris, if you could just kind of go into maybe term versus whole and, and kind of what's suitable, generally speaking, for, for each one. Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't, I don't have a good dissertation on term versus whole life, but I'll take a different approach. And that is what you just said is a good place to start is that if you're young and even if you don't have a family, and even if you're not married, I believe you should buy as much life insurance as the marketplace will sell you. Now people are going to say, yeah, he's an insurance agent. Why would you, <laughs> why would you say anything else? Well, that's true, but, but there's good thinking and planning behind it. And that is you want to lock in your insurability and get, what I call the 25-year-old vegan yoga teacher rate while you can. Because, you know, there's a, I have a list of about 20 ways that you can get rated. And a lot of them you wouldn't – would surprise you. And so Chris, when you're young and healthy, you should buy a lot of inexpensive term insurance. That's my first advice. So, Chris, maybe for the, for the audience members out there that aren't familiar with the term rated and kind of what that all means, maybe just okay. elaborate a little of that. So the most simple kind of insurance is one that you pay for every year and it, the cost of insurance goes up every year. And I have um, some visuals on this. Maybe we can do a Zoom you know, podcast another day. But um, in the simplest way to understand life insurance is um, there's a premium and then they subtract the cost of insurance and then they pool all these premiums and they invest it. And then there's a pool of money to pay the death benefit. And it all started with the sea captains in like New England. And they would all go out, hunt whales or, I don't know, smuggle tea to, <laughs> from China or whatever. And sometimes they wouldn't come home. And so they would pool the money and then the widow would get the money if, um, you know, if they didn't come home. And um, so term insurance, though, I, mean, I should go back. All life insurance works the same way, whether it's term whole life, universal life variable, or indexed, it's all priced the same way from a a risk and mortality standpoint. So what's the chances that you're going to die next year? And of course, it goes up if you get older, and it goes up if if you're sick, if you have any ailments and conditions. And the rest of the difference about the insurance is just how they invest the money and how they pay the death benefits. So term insurance is the cheapest because 98%, I don't know if that's a true statistic, but we're all drinking here today, so we'll just go with it, um, don't pay out. 
<laughs> because they outlive the term and they don't, they drop it. They stop paying the premiums before the end of the term. And so term insurance is the least expensive. And they, and I also like to say life insurance companies are not in the business to break even. You know, they want to make a profit. So if you had a million men that were 40 years old, they know how many are going to die next year. And it's not that many. And you don't know which one are going to die, but out of a million, let's say 60 of them would die in a year. And so that means they have to pay out 60 death claims. Let's say they were a $1,000 claim each. So you divide that um, $60,000 by the number of people in the pool, and that's the cost of insurance. And then the cost of insurance goes up every year because you get older. And everybody understands that part. But there's two factors that cause cost of insurance to go up every year. And it's not linear, it's exponential. The cost of insurance goes way up as you get older, faster than just your age. Now, I know you guys, we didn't prep this, but I don't think you're going to get why that is. So one is they're older. Why is it? What else causes the cost of insurance to go up exponentially? Nobody ever gets this. Investment returns. Funding. A good, reasonably good guess. Uh, but I'll tell you. So if you start off with a pool of a million 40-year-olds and 60 of them die, let's say let's say 1,000 of them die. So now you have 900 and um, – is that right? 990 – we're drinking, so the numbers are 900 matter. left. <laughs> yeah. Some of them die. So more of them are going to die next year because they get a year older. But there's also less people paying premiums now because ah. they're gone. And that's the hard part that people don't get. But as the pool gets older, not only does the more of them die, but there's less of them paying premiums. So actuarially, that's the formula. And that's why the premiums go way up as you get older. So then they invented level term. So they say, you know what? You're going to overcharge you in the early years, but we'll undercharge you in the later years, and we'll call that 10-year level term. And so in my example of a 40-year-old, I think a 40-year-old, you know, who's making a living wage today, call it, you know, $100,000 or $200,000, they should probably buy about $5 million of life insurance. So it sounds so like to be. Stuff- oh, go ahead. Well, you have to be worth more alive than dead. That's one of the rules. And so you can get about 25 times your income. So if you're making 200,000, you can get about $4 million of insurance. So for those that were- Or 5 million, sorry, yeah. Not fully paying attention, the the cost of the pizza gets larger every year and there's less people eating the pie. So proportionally they're gonna all pay a little bit more each year. Is there any- I don't know good. how you approach That's, this. I'm going to use that one. You can have that. You can have that. We're drinking. No this is copywritten. It's crafted no by ch- no charge. No charge. But, I mean, how does this scale, or if any, or, or is there any evaluation you look at as earners? So, you know, obviously, if you're in your 20s coming out of school, you're making no money. You probably can't afford to do this when you're in your healthiest. Maybe you're not yeah. in the healthiest because you're drinking all the time. But <laughs> you progressively start to earn more as you're. 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. So as the earnings go up, how do you tend to look at bringing insurance back into the picture of something someone should evaluate? Well, so that would be a different approach, right? And there's software for that where you say, 
um, you know, if you died last weekend, um, how much would your family suffer? So I, I think the best question any life insurance guy ever asked is the following. And that is, Jack, would anybody you care about suffer financially if you were to die prematurely? Of course. So we know they're going to suffer emotionally because people love you. But would they, would they suffer financially if you died prematurely? And I also say that you care about because every once in a while I run across somebody who's, who's wealthy or makes, you know, a great income. And I say, well, we should protect your income for your family. And they don't care. And they're not going to buy any life insurance. So all those pieces are important. Would anybody suffer financially that you care about if you died prematurely? So there's, it's pretty easy to do that math. And when you ask somebody, what does it take to support your lifestyle? You just add inflation, take the lump sum. You can add an investment rate of return, take the tax off. And you can figure out what lump sum they need today to protect their lifestyle, let's say, for the next 20 years. And you can either spend that down to zero or say at the end of 20 years, I still want to have a million dollars in you know cash reserves. And then you figure out how much insurance they need you know, right, right now. Yeah. So it sounds like the, the initial goal is obviously going to understand what the heck is happening in this person's life. What do they need? Yeah. Who would be affected if they're gone, which is the other part yeah. of this. If nobody cares. If they're dead, then maybe they're not a right. candidate for this. Well, I, well they're very charitable. I have somewhere more than 10% of the people say, I'm going to be dead. What do I care? And I'm not making that up. Yeah. But yeah. Obviously, they are not my, my customers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um but that's correct and but it's also a, a no-brainer when you're young to go out and get as much insurance as you can because it's ridiculously inexpensive um i mean it, it's ridiculously inexpensive to I, I can look at um what it costs to get a five million dollar policy when you're 40 in the other window while you're talking but um it's you should do that yeah and so back to Sean's question, and when you did the setup intro, you, you, you gave me enough material for the whole show. But um, um, I believe that people's need for insurance never goes away. It just changes. So when you're young, you need insurance. And I don't like to use the word need either, because have you ever thought of this? What's, what would you rather have, a customer who needs what you're selling, what you're doing, or a customer who wants what you're doing. The only one that Would needs anything is a hospital. And they don't... <laughs> Say again? I said the only person that ever, like their customers need them is a hospital. And that's not normally the right. best arrangement. It's very stressful for yeah. both parties. Yeah. So, and one of, my, um, one of my mentors is Dan Sullivan, who's the most successful entrepreneurial coach in the world. And he makes a, he has a nice five minute video on this that needs are way more transactional. Right. It's like, I have a problem. Fix it. I'll write you a check. Done. But wants are way more aspirational and people really appreciate you more when you can help them accomplish a goal or get ahead or get a, to a higher level. And so wants are way more powerful than needs. And it's really true with life insurance because nobody needs it. You're going to be dead yep. if it ever pays. Well, we can talk about building cash value and using it for income later that's i guess that would be different but um 
it's really not what you need so much as you want, you know, and you can get really emotional about this. And I can, if I think about it and, and some of the best insurance salespeople who ever lived get really emotional about this, you know, is that, Hey, Chris really wanted to take care of me if he's not going to be here, you know? So those are my customers, those that really want to make sure they provide for their family if they're not here. Yeah. And part, part of this is, uh, obviously there's, we're talking about the longevity planning. I think for younger listeners, stop thinking about maybe yourself and your spending. And this goes to the spouse, the kids. How do you make sure if your income goes away, you get this like balloon payment to cover all that. How maybe Chris on a different side, and we'll talk a little bit later about if you're maybe, you know, self-employed or you're predominantly the breadwinner, then maybe disability comes mm-hmm. get to that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. how is insurance used? Maybe let's say you make a bunch of money, you're worried about taxes and you're trying to figure out different ways to put money aside. I mean, if I make a half million dollars a year, yep. an IRA is like a laugh. A 401k is only you know, a rounding error in what I make. So a lot of times as your income goes up, you need different avenues to help you not only save money, but plan for the future. So how do you incorporate maybe insurance with those that are making more money thinking about so the, death benefit? Like before, before I answer that, you really have to um, step one step back. It's like, wh- what are the reasons that anybody would ever buy life insurance? And there's really two reasons. And one is because they want a death benefit. And like when you break that down, to like the cold hard facts, it's because you want cash when you die. And I never met anybody, never met one executor or a trustee who was upset because there was too much cash in the estate, right? On the other hand, you have a public shopping center and you got three kids that want the money, you gotta sell it, you know? So immediate liquidity on death is one really good reason for buying life insurance. And the other is because you can buy life insurance and it it can have cash value and that cash value accumulates tax-free and you can take it out tax-free. So those are two reasons to buy life insurance. One is for uh, for death benefit and the other is for tax advantage cash accumulation. And the way you design those policies are at opposite ends of the spectrum. You can't really have one that does both and be the most efficient. And so, um, so what you described is, you know, I don't need, you hear a lot of times, I don't need life insurance. I'm self-insured. You know, I make enough money or I have enough money that if I die, my kids are still going to college. And I agree with that. But that's why I say you need changes. It doesn't go away. And um, so your need is you've got this great income and you're not saving enough. I don't like to say retire, but when you stop working full time, you don't have enough to support your lifestyle just because you don't. And um, so it's and it's I'm not I don't ever say that life insurance is a good investment, but it's a great asset to own. And it creates, it, it builds up cash value tax-free and you can take it out tax-free. So it's a great source of tax-free income. And I never met anybody that had too much tax-free income either. Yeah. And um, so the person you described that 
is maxing out their 401k at work and is is can't can't contribute to a Roth because they make too much money. Um, they they don't really have too many other um, options. You know, putting money into a, a cash value life insurance policy could make a lot of sense. Now, if you turn the radio on and you listen to Dave Ramsey and you listen to Susie Orman, they're going to say, what a terrible idea. There's fast talking life insurance guys out there like Chris Reen, who's going to try to convince you to buy a life insurance policy. It's a terrible idea. And I don't completely disagree with them, but I don't talk that fast. I like to talk. <laughs> but, um, We're going to play your sections on two times speed. <laughs> At least 1.5. <laughs> but if you're, make, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you should listen to Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman. If you're not, then don't listen to them. You should listen to us. And because um, it's different and your world is different. Your taxation is different. Your goals are different. Your your lifestyle is different. And, you know, it, it's different. It's all different. So the person that you, you speak of that has a high income um, can can put after tax money into life insurance and then it can grow tax free. And it can, you know, it can grow. Um, uh, I don't want to say um, we're not going to beat the in the long run. Here's a you can quote me on this and you can post this on the LinkedIn as a clip. In the long run, the stock market is going to win. Right. In the long run, a real estate investment is going to win. In the long run, uh, uh, investing in your small business is most likely going to win. No. But for your low to modest risk portion of your portfolio, I can make a really strong argument that life insurance is should fill that asset class. I think for two or most, three reasons. I was going to say something interesting you said that I haven't heard phrased before is don't think of it as an investment, but a different asset. There you yeah. go. We get blown yeah. up all the time by, oh, I want to diversify all my stock stuff. I'm going 100% into crypto. The world's going to end. I'm moving to El Salvador. Yeah. You get a lot of people that do this with real estate. They want a different way to do their investments. Yep. And I would add something to this is we have a handful of clients that, you know, very young retired early because they stockpiled a ton of cash or they just made, you know, they worked for the right company at the right time, made a lot of money. Yep. But now it's killing them in retirement is all after tax dollars getting crushed with capital gains dividend distributions, interest payments. So there's yeah. that, not that tax-free option. So it's, I, right. I've never heard the option of think of it like a asset. You're diversifying yeah. what you have and incorporating something yeah. different. So there's some really smart life insurance guys that don't sell much because they're so smart. They don't, you know, they don't really have a lot of clients, but um, they're really smart. And the one, two of them are friends of mine. I shouldn't say this because they <laughs> might sell, sell more. Um, so I won't name their names, but they wrote a white paper one year. It was a hundred and hundred pages or so. And it won the financial planning association white paper of the year. And it's called life insurance as an asset class. And, um, and they liked it so much. They came back next year and they wrote a 200 page dissertation. And it also won the, the financial planning association white paper of the year. And so I think they are the, I like to credit the people that originally came up with stuff. I think they're the ones who, um, who came up with life insurance as an asset class. And, uh, you know, it's like, what defines an asset class? So Jack, Sean, you're, you both have good understandings of asset classes, but 
What's the definition of an asset class? I'm not even going to Google it because I'm drinking, but I would probably guess. I would say something along the lines of correlation to other assets. So it doesn't act correlation for those that don't know. It just means it doesn't well, act. Yeah, like an asset class is a group of investments that all behave. Right? Stocks are all in the asset class of equities. They all behave the same way, relatively speaking. Okay. And so give me an example of an asset class. Let's say real estate. Real estate could okay. be an asset class, and underneath that asset class, you have public companies that are ass- that are real estate based, private real estate, maybe debt commercial focus, real estate, equity focus. You've got you know. So let's just keep it high level. So yeah. real estate, what else? Equities, yeah. what else? Fixed income, commodities, gold, silver, aluminum, yeah. copper. What's the other, what's the other one that you're missing that most people Bonds. miss, but it's a big one. Yeah. No. Nope. Yeah, and but just small business interests, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, you own a small business, that's Close, an asset. Closely class. held business, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, my friend Rob Slee, who's a top investment banker, um, he's the best investment banker in the world, if you ask him, he says that. Um, <laughs> but he makes a point that, um, you know, if you're not making more than 20% return on your investment in a small business, why are you doing this? And most small business owners aren't making that. And um, but anyway, so the, the definition, the other broader definition of an asset class might be how liquid is it, right? I can sell my Home Depot stock on my phone right now. Well, market's closed, but you get the idea. <laughs> um, After our train, and, and um, my real estate's not so liquid, right? And um, my small business interest definitely not very liquid. Um, and my, my bonds are, are pretty, are very liquid, but you know, they don't have the upside potential. So that's a different, and, and then how it's taxed is a big influence on the asset class. So real estate's a great asset class because it has a lot of tax advantages. Yep. Um, but there's nothing like life insurance from all those that, that offers the tax advantages, um, the, um, and it's non-correlated. And then the other really powerful argument for life insurance as an asset class is one that Mike Fontanini came up with our partner at line street. And that is um, if you look at the risk based return, right? What's the sharp ratio on a whole life policy? 1.5. So I don't even know what sharp ratio is, but it's a measure of the risk of of an investment, right? (laughs) Give us a definition of a sharp ratio. All right, I'll give you the exact definition. Yeah. This is from the uh, Nobel laureate, William Sharp. It's used to help investors understand the return of investment compared to its risk. Boom. Thank you. Walking away. And so... Um, yeah, it's a unit of return versus a unit of risk. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and so life ins- whole life insurance, and I don't like to compare term to whole life because it's, it's not really... Why would you compare... Um, What's a good analogy? I haven't thought of this before. You know, uh, they're they're totally different jobs. Why would you compare a Ferrari to a chainsaw? You know, and they kind of both make noise, similar noise, but that's about it. Um, so the 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 risk of a whole life policy is nearly zero. Yep. Because it's guaranteed. The death benefits guaranteed. Even the cash value accumulation is guaranteed. In most cases, so if you look at the um, what's the sharp ratio of an investment in whole life insurance, 
it blows away anything that you guys do at Sanish. I can tell you right now, because it's like 250. <laughs> now, I guess the only risk is one of the biggest financial institutions in the world going out of bit, going bankrupt. That's really the only risk. Um, and um, so just from that standpoint, it, it makes sense to own life insurance. It's not so much an investment, but it's a really valuable asset to own. <clears throat> yeah. And not to, you know, kind of braid the point, but it, that is a great way to phrase it, right? It's it definitely, it is an asset class. that's great to own. It's a great asset to own within your bigger financial plan because it checks different boxes, right? It can provide yeah. some upside. It provides yeah. protection. It can, you know, there's some very tax friendly characteristics of it. So right. it checks a lot of different boxes that few right. asset classes can cover. So it may not be the sexiest, highest return piece in your portfolio, but at right. the same time, the pieces that do provide that sexy high return really don't offer right. any protection or downside, you know, risk mitigation, whereas that life insurance can. Right. And if you've got that blend in your overall portfolio, you can certainly take a lot more risk with the other exactly. stuff you're doing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, something else I would add to this, just for those, <clears throat> those return nuts sitting at home, just listening to returns and sharp ratios and drooling <laughs> there, a, a large part of this performance is the fact that the end of the performance stream, there's still money. I mean, you could burn an all stock account down to zero. This almost, I don't want to say replenishes itself, but the death benefit at the end kicks in, provides to the next generation, family, charity. So it's, you don't get that with an investment portfolio. You don't get that with a retirement account. Most of that you're going to force to be drawn down. So this kind of gives, a lot of times when we incorporate this in retirement plans, we're trying to give people the ability to spend more while they're alive and then use this if it's the death benefit we're focused on for passing down a generation. Or this, this, this whole, uh, like, I think Fontanini might have coined this term contingent asset class because it's only valuable if you're dead. But that's a big contingency and it's a huge value <laughs> if that happens. And um, But you can do this sharp ratio calculation on both the cash value itself and on end including you know, not, or not including the death benefit. And they both are still could be really attractive. Um, um, and so here's a question for you, you guys. I know you knew this when you passed your CFP exams, but you might have forgotten it since. Um, why do irrevocable trusts often buy life insurance? Those the taxes. Yes. But if I have an irrevocable trust with $5 million in it, I might invest in a high cash value life insurance policy designed to accumulate and grow mm -hmm. cash, not necessarily just for death benefit. Why would anybody do that? Have it grow outside their estate. So if you're... It's, yep. it, all of that's correct. And, but the other answer is, you know, trusts are taxed at the highest tax bracket after like $15,000 or something, yep. you know, very small. Yep. So life insurance t grows tax-free and you can pay that, pay those premiums with income from the trust. So instead of reinvesting that and having it exposed to income taxes, you can have it grow cash value inside the life insurance policy and there's no tax on that growth. There you go. It's not tax evasion, it's avoidance. Or yeah. I don't know if I said that right or wrong. It's not right. The rules and, are um, there for a reason and it's, it's, insurance job and it's a lot of times the advisor job to figure out how to play within the rules but 
Yes, this is a good way to look at it. If you're going to put money away for the future, use the tax-free nature. That's the long-term benefit. That's not I'm dying benefit. This is and that's the part else. that Susie Orman and Greg, what's his name, Dave Ramsey, Al Williams. You know, they don't. They probably understand that, but they're not talking to your audience. That's the thing. Um, and the good thing about our clients is there's you know they don't like paying life insurance premiums. I hate it. But there's only one thing they hate more than paying life insurance premiums, paying and that's taxes. taxes. So um, that, and so there's a lot of ways that it, you know, that it flows, flows in. So a $5 million 30 year term policy. So this woman was 34 when she bought it. And that's going to cover her until she's 64 years old, $5 million death benefit. And the premiums are only $300 a month. Yeah. For $5 million. <clears throat> and that's Pretty a 30 incredible. year term. Uh, a 10 year term would be ridiculously cheap. And so, Chris, as far as, um, you know, again, rating. So, just again, kind of to, to reiterate this for the audience out there. So, rating is basically your risk. You know, it's, it's how much does it cost for you to become insured, right? So, the, yeah. the higher your rating is, the more expensive it is for you to be insured, the lower it is, less expensive it is for you to be insured. Uh, but maybe elaborate on people who buy term insurance at a younger age and yeah. switch that over to whole life at a later point. Um, how yeah. does that impact their rating and then the yeah. cost of insurance down the road? So that's that's the reason why I say buy as much as you can right now, <clears throat> because they won't sell you as much as you want. They'll only give you as much as you can justify financially, yep. 25 times your income being one of the formulas. Um, but that locks you in at the rating class that you are today. Yep. So it, with with the right term com- product, with the right company, yep. you have the you have the contractual right to extend that policy into a permanent policy anytime you want. Yep. Now more and more, the carriers are not, are limiting how long you can do it, and even more insidious is when they only let you convert to the good products for like the first three, four, five, seven years. I won't sell those ever again. I got really a thing. Yeah. I sold a few, I sold a few in the last couple of years, which I think is a good insurance company. I should mention their name, but I'm not going to. Um, um, Because I think they're a good company, but I'll never sell their term insurance again because they only let you convert to any product you want for the first four years. I'd like to know offline when we're done hitting the record button. Okay. I'm not going to mention any initials, but it's John Hancock. And, um, um, I just think it's terrible that they do that. And, um, and, you know, I still think they're a great company and I like their products, but I won't sell their term insurance again. But that, but that's a good point though, right? So if you're with the right company, and that's why it's even more important to work with a qualified insurance specialist who's a CFP, ideally, right? Who's somebody who can actually look at the bigger picture and not just try to sell you a quick policy and move on. Yeah. You know, if they're looking at everything from a holistic perspective, because, you know, a lot of times Jack and I talk to um, sometimes younger business owners or just, you know, uh, younger investors and they're, you know, how much money should I be spending on insurance? What should I be doing? And so that is a great way for them to get access and to get themselves insured. And as long as they're working with the right, you know, individual who
who can right. guide them towards the right company, the right, right. right type of insurance, they're able yeah. to lock in that, you know, that and rate. even those high, well, Sean, you and I work with a lot of farmers mm-hmm. and some of these young farmers are making a lot of money. Oh yeah. But, absolutely. but they don't, they need to buy a bunch of term insurance. In my opinion, they shouldn't be buying whole life or index life or, or variable universal life because they got lots of other needs for their cash flow. They sure. want to buy more land. They want to buy fertilizer for next year before the price goes up. Yep. Um, you know, they want, they need a tractor and, but they need a lot of life insurance. The only way to do that is term yep. right now. It's definitely the best flow. bang for your buck. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. And um, let's see, you made me think of one other thing that, um, um, and I, I got on that sidetrack, but um, uh, oh, just about the, you're giving me that nice compliment that I know a little bit about what I'm what I'm talking about here. <laughs> There's no way that anybody could do, know everything in our business, right? Sure. Why am I with Senge? I passed my CFP exam, but I would never pretend to give anybody investment advice. I just wouldn't. Yep. That's why I'm with you guys. Yep. That's why I have a selling agreement with you where I can bring you clients, but I don't give them any advice. Yep. And it's just no way that any one mortal human, maybe like, what's that IBM thing that won the Jeopardy? Oh, Watson. Yeah. Watson. Watson. Yeah, but Watson, no. there's just no way that anybody could keep up with all the products and all the different nuances and changes, yeah. unless you're doing this every day. There's that's just a big no point, changes, right? Changes happen yeah. all the time, whether it's in the yeah. investment space, whether that's in the insurance yep. space. You know, whether that's in the estate planning, right, realm, taxes, etc. Yeah. There's just so many changes that are occurring mm-hmm. in so many different avenues. And yeah. it's why when you're working with somebody, you want to make sure they've they've got a good, you know, set of credentials behind their name, but also a good team that they're working with and a good yeah. uh, outfit, right? Because if there's no way anybody can know it all. Agreed. And well, even, even, even like, well, I'm a generalist. Well, the world doesn't really reward generalists, you know. <laughs> the The world rewards Closers, you know, Mariana Rivero throws 105 mile an hour strikes, right? But he's not a generalist. Um, And so it's hard. But if if you want the, if you want really good, um, not just advice, but if you want to tap into somebody's expertise, you need the right platform where, where you have the right people to go to. Yeah, quick note on the AI, because and I've talked a lot about the stock market and individual companies. And one company we've talked about for a while is Lemonade, who's been trying to mm-hmm. use artificial intelligence in the auto manufacture or the auto uh, insurance yep. realm. That company has been just butchered because <laughs> it's, I guess it works, oh, yeah. but it's not working that well. And this is a pooling mm-hmm. thing. If you don't have enough people coming into the pool, yeah, you don't have a pool, so you can't run this insurance thing. So yeah, it, it, I, I completely agree. I think there's, you know, when we look at insurance, when we see different cases that come through, if it's a family that needs to provide for their kids, if it's someone trying to plan for retirement, or it's a business and they're trying to figure out more creative ways to have their their almost balance sheet run where they're not getting hit with taxes, this is kind of the tool you're going to use as an asset class, to Chris's point, not just as a, a as an investment, but John, you were gonna you were gonna roll to a different section. What were you thinking? Yeah, no. So, so Jack and I, we work with a lot of small, you know, and Chris as well. We work, we all work with a lot of um, small business owners, and um, so Jack and I get we get asked a lot of questions sometimes from younger small business owners about disability insurance. Um, not that you know, younger or older doesn't necessarily matter, 
but especially if you're a small business owner and you don't work for a company that provides that type of yep. disability insurance, it's obviously very important. Um, so that's something that I wanted to ask you about and maybe have you touch on and elaborate the importance yeah, think, of it and ways to get access to it. I have some really strong opinions on this. And obviously these are all opinions. And But I put my opinions and recommendations up, up against craft advice up against <laughs> anybody, right? Now, some people might disagree with what I'm saying, but they're going to say, hey, there is something to that, right? So on disability insurance, I said earlier, you should buy as much life insurance as the marketplace will sell you. Well, if you don't buy as much disability insurance as the marketplace will sell you, you have rocks in your head because you ha they'll only sell you up to 60% of your income and you can't get it, you know, when you get older and it's expensive, but you know, what's, you know, unless you're financially set for life and you're not still saving for retirement, you're depending on your income. And if you can't work, that goes away. That ruins your financial plan really quickly if you don't have any income. You guys agree? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. It, can completely, it can completely blow up everything. That's why I bring it up because I want to touch on it, especially for, for those people who are you know, small business owners, um, yeah. you know, obviously we live in Florida. So we, we talk to a lot of people who are, you know, they own their own, you know, real estate companies, or maybe they're small builders or maybe, you know, yeah. whatever the, whatever the case may be, right. There's a lot of different entrepreneurial, uh, type of individuals that we come across. And a lot of times, uh, that's the, the big missing component within the insurance pieces, that disability aspect. So you would say, of course you think that, Chris, of course you tell people to buy as much disability insurance as they can because you sell it. I don't sell it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't like, I, it's hard. I don't like that business. It's hard to get, it's hard to underwrite. It's hard to get, the, it's hard to get it issued and people don't like buying it, but they really should do it. And, and again, you have to be an expert specialist or else I think you're, you're way over your head. You're not going to do a good job for anyone. Um, but also what you said when I started to go off on the, my personal opinion, even if you work for a big company, you should buy your own supplemental personal disability insurance, even if they provide it at work. Because if you leave that company, chances are you can't take it. And if you can take it, it gets really expensive. Great. And it's not and it's not enough. You should buy as much as the marketplace will sell you. Great point. Great point, Chris. Yeah. Great. I, got a, I got a great actual real life example. So. My wife had disability offered through her school. So when we had my son, they don't offer maternity leave. They offer, you just get a, like there's, they included maternity as like one of the approved disabilities. So you're not getting paid. Disability, when you think it is. It. Yeah. So long story short, they, based on how they worded their exclusion periods and the timing of it, we got $120 for a full yeah. three months of her being out of work. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where, I mean, whoever wrote that, you know, wrote it for the business, they wrote with really broad strokes. Right. But if you're a right. business owner and you are the breadwinner yeah. and you haven't thought like, what the hell happens if I go walking across the street and get <laughs> smashed by a car? Right. Obviously the life insurance comes in, but if you can't work for an extended period of time, yeah. disability is huge. So we got, um, we yeah, all work. Not every these... accident is is more is a mortality situation, right? Oh. Just because you oh. get hurt or you get sick doesn't mean you die, right? Yeah. You can have an extended illness or an extended injury yeah. that just prevents you from working or prevents you from being fully capable of doing all the work. And and the next thing you know, your business suffers and 
things potentially go downhill from there. And especially if you were the key man who is the center, right? The centerpiece of that business that the straw that stirs the drink, as they say. Uh, so we all work with these type A business owners yeah. and they all think they're invincible. I'm never going to get sick. And they also say, even if I get sick, I can run my company from my bed. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're right. And, but then I quote the statistics and I tell them, what do you think is the number one cause of a disability claim for a man your age? And they go, heart attack. Or they go, cancer. And I say, nope. Because I'm not going to have a heart attack. I'm not going to have cancer. You know, um, <laughs> but I tell them it's back injury. And they go, oh, yeah, maybe I could hurt my back playing <laughs> golf. <laughs> Right? Feel a and little tight right now. So, I mean, it does it does come at you, in, you know, in so many ways. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is if you own, well, like a realtor, it's really hard to get disability insurance if you're a realtor because they want predictable income. They have to be worth more working than not. And um, uh, so if you're a realtor, you should buy as much as you can get. But guess what? It ain't going to be easy to get it in the first place. Not only medically, but but financially, it's really hard to underwrite. And uh, uh, so, is that the case, it? Chris? Let me jump in there. Is that the case even if they have, let's say, you know, six, seven years in the industry and relatively Don't similar matter. levels of production and income? It, it, it's still really hard if you own a brokerage and you have 130 realtors working for you and yep. you're more of an executive, then you can get it. Okay. Um, but as a, as a person on the front line, it's hard. You're, you work up on a ladder, you ain't getting it. <laughs> right. So any kind of a, um, any kind of a labor, uh, tends, you know, so you would think, what about, um, chiropractors? They, they must be pretty easy to write for disability insurance, right? No. It's almost impossible to get disability as a chiropractor. Hmm. Uh, Why is because, that? well, some of it is because they go on claim and they sign each other's claims and they say, oh, <laughs> we don't. Yeah. So doctors pay a lot for disability insurance because I don't know if it's true, but that's what the disability companies tell me is that they, they, they milk the system. They milk the system. Yeah. Do you see, so, Chris, is this more yeah. on the, like, I guess, I don't call it like intellectual work, but like accountants, people doing like call center work or something like that or working remote. Is it if you're in that industry, you're going to be much more able to do this than if you're physical well, you want, labor? Yes. And so white collar professionals, it matters if you have a college degree, you get a lower rating, um, you get lower rates. But um, they um, what was I going to say? Um, you should definitely buy as much as you can get because it's hard to get. And um, I, I forgot what I was going to say, but the other point that I skipped over was if you own a business and if you're the, if you stir, if you're the straw that stirs the drink, whatever, um, you know, you should get like a business interruption disability policy too. Uh, Cause, and that's huge. And, or let's say you have a partner. And so disability for buy sell is also really smart thing to do. So disability insurance is expensive, but disability for buy-sell agreements is not expensive. Why is that? And now you guys do your actuarial calculations and try to tell me why is buy-sell 
lump sum by sell disability insurance not very expensive. Don, I'm going to pong to you. Yeah, I'm. Uh... Pause the video while you uh, come yeah. up with an answer here. Um, so the answer is, if if you have a business and it's worth a million dollars, and you and you do a disability buy sell, um, well, first of all, it's like a year waiting period. So if you're disabled for a year, they'll pay you a lump sum to buy your partner out. But it's also a lump sum. They know how much their exposure is. But if you're a 45 year old and you get disabled, and they're going to have to pay your disability benefit for the rest until you're until you're 65 or 67. That's a lot more unknown. So they can underwrite a known future obligation of a lump sum disability, but it's really hard to predict how they know how many people are going to go on claim, but they don't know how long the claims are going to last. And it's, they have to build a lot of uncertainty into that. So if I'm a 22 year old um, crypto entrepreneur with 10,000 employees and I want disability to pay me for the rest of my life, I'm probably not going to get, you're not going to get it. So here's a couple other. I have a lot of trivia questions around disability that you, won't, that you won't get. Power, baby. <laughs> so, um, so disability insurance False. for a 45 year old. What's the longest that that will pay until? For a how? For say that one more time. Say a 45 year old, you know, executive. Um, Ten years. Let's say you're. Let's say you're a lawyer. At a, at a law firm, they give you a group disability and you want to buy your own personal disability policy and that you're going to get a really good Cadillac, you know, design policy that's really well funded and, and have a nice benefit. But they'll only pay that 45 year old's claim until what age? Uh, I'm going to do 10 years. Um, so I guess you could design the policy to pay a certain period, but none of them go past 65. There were a few go to 67 and even Ooh. fewer go to 67 than they did a couple of years ago. It's mostly 65. Sean is right. Don, I'm going to give you a round. I'm going to give you a round of applause. Yeah. I think that, that, that didn't play. Come on, come, on, come on, get it, get it going. Where's, where's the sound effects, Jack? Sound but effects. But are... The lesson is in why the, that is. The budget's lacking. Why, why is that, that the disability companies don't pay past 65? Social security they, kicks in. Social security, Medicare. Yeah. And the, the bigger picture answer is they can't afford it. Yeah, that's. I mean, the reality is that they don't. They can't afford it. and They don't want to. And right. the irrational, you, irrational out for them is to say we don't have to pay you this anymore because now you're getting right. Social Security. Right. Yeah, and that's the safety net that the government provides. Yep. But there ain't no safety net until you get that age. Now you can get Social Security disability, but that's hard to get and it very hard pay that much. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you only get rated for certain percentages and it's yeah there's there's a lot to it all right so i got one more who pays cheaper life insurance rates men or women 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 are cheaper to life insure why is that uh they are just less stupid yep <laughs> and they live longer they live longer they're yeah. uh they're less risk they they take they, they work less risky occupations they right. have less risky lifestyles all that stuff so who is more expensive to insure for disability, men or women? Women, I guess, because of the, the pregnancy thing. Which, by the, the way, answer... Jack, I don't think you should tell uh, Sarah that it's a disability. Mm -mm. Yeah, well, that, she brought the policy to me. So uh, got it. She doesn't okay. listen to this anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so women are yeah. much more expensive than men to insure for disability, but it's not pregnancy. Oh. It's not the only reason. And it's probably not even the biggest reason. So what's the reason? 
Uh, they assume men just die out faster, so they'll be paying less. Probably has something to do with it, but the reason is men are like, I don't care what my doctor says, I'm going back to work. Uh, mm. And so that. they actually don't claim as much as women on average because the women, the doctor tells them to stay home and they do. Yeah, you guys go right yeah. back to work and mm -hmm. they'll, walk, so, they'll work um, themselves into their life insurance policy very quickly. Yeah. And if... So I've been doing nothing but insurance and business continuity and estate planning for business owners for about 15 years. And I think I can count on one hand how many um, actual buy-sell agreements that I've done. People just don't do it. They don't, they don't think it'll ever happen to them. It's just rare that anybody does a buy-sell agreement. But one really smart thing to do that nobody does is you should have a buy-sell agreement. You can fund it with inexpensive term insurance. But you should also have a disability policy that, and you have the language of your buy-sell agreement gets triggered by the disability policy, paying the claim or not. So there's no argument on whether your partner is fit enough, healthy enough to come back to work. And so you write the, write the buy-sell agreement that says, if the disability company says you're disabled, then you must sell your shares back to us. And it's just a, it's a smart way of um, structuring things. I want to emphasize one thing on this. We had a case we worked down here where the individual that owned a business had no sort of continuity planning at all. They passed away and basically this, it was, it was a business owner and, a, and his partner, no continuity, no buy, sell, no nothing. The spouse basically inherited all the assets just due to normal asset transfers of death. And now she inherited half of a business, but has no idea how to deal with it. She's got to go through and negotiate with his business partner. It just created an entire nightmare. She would much rather have just got a check and just said, Hey, you know, let the, it, the other partner continue to run with this. And she just gets paid out for the share her, her husband owned, but it's very, very way, a clean way to keep the house of your business nice and organized. You have some sort we, of bias. We could on. easily do a whole episode just on that topic. Yep. But if you asked me to, I would say no. Because nobody would listen to it. And if they did, they don't care and they won't do it. I don't know why, but I've been I've been promoting the benefits of buy sell agreement and continuity planning for fifteen years and nobody does it. Yep. I just think business owners yeah, but, can't agree on stuff. So ego, it's it. ego, right? It's ego. It's part of you're it. a business owner. You're smart. You're like, I built yeah. this business. I do this all by myself. Right. You know, these are good ideas, but they're not great ideas. They're not my, they're not my ideas. ideas. I don't need these. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the only, only arena where they do do it is where they are smart and it's private equity. So if private equity comes in and buys your business. They, they put disability on everyone. They put, a key man, they put buy-sell agreements on everyone. Risk mitigation. Yeah. 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 And it's not that they, because they can afford it, but they, they're not into losing money either. So it's, yeah, it's risk. It's an option risk, contract it's a risk on their investment. Strategy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. All it is. Yeah. That's all it is. So that's my take on, on disability. And um, I don't even, I don't even sell it because it's, you have to be a specialist. Yeah. It's, it's too hard. Yeah, too like hard, everybody. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would it. say, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say as far as, um, you know, what, what we, so we've, we've touched on disability, we've touched on term, we've touched on whole life, kind of different phases of people's lives, encouraging, uh, you know, just to discuss the overall asset class as a whole. Um, you know, what, what we want to do is keep bringing you back on periodically, Chris, and, and we can touch on different insurance topics, you know, like you said, key man uh, insurance or buy sell agreements, that type of risk mitigation strategy for business owners is something we could do a whole episode on, right? Yeah, we could do a whole episode on different estate planning techniques and, and different ways to reduce the tax liability there and, and use and leverage insurance specifically for that. Um, and, and those are things that we'd like to would like to do going forward. Um, so, but I definitely want to thank you for for joining us on this uh, this week's episode. A little bit My of an pleasure. intro uh, to yourself as far as uh, you know how, how you fit into the organization and and introducing you to the audience uh, and and definitely giving us a good introduction to just again insurance as a whole, how it works, where it's come from, when it's uh, appropriate in terms of life stages, term. Uh, obviously, like you said earlier, your advice is to get as much as the market will allow, right? Because at the end of the day, getting that, you know, locking in that rating at a young age is, is extremely important. And then obviously we, we spent a good amount of time touching on uh, disability. Um, so with all that being said, any final thoughts, Chris, uh, or Jack? I'd say thanks for having me. You know, it's topics I can talk about. Wind me up and point me at the microphone. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I definitely know that some of my comments and approaches to this are, I wouldn't say they're controversial, but they're, they're, they're strongly opinionated. But I, I put a lot of time and thought into coming up with how, and it does come back to how does it fit into your overall plan? Absolutely. And it is, you know, the only reason to, by insurance is to make your overall estate and or financial plan better. Yeah. The last thing I think I'd close on and, you know, for the younger listeners, I don't think I thought too much about this until I had my first kid, but you need to make sure, you, you know, your stupid ass Robin hood account is not going to be the only thing that carries your family forward. If something yeah. happens to you, you have a lot of, cause it won't, it, it won't. Yeah. Cause it will You're, not. Your yeah. arc funds are not going to kill it that much. So it's and, and and this is like a. I heard this at some insurance seminar. But you know, do you want your wife or your brother to have to put up a GoFundMe account to fund your college, your kids' college education? You know, you don't yeah. want that. No. Yeah, we're going to do an episode. We've we've talked about this for a while. This is the other kind of the the episode I think would pair nice to this. Is we've had a lot of requests for if for some reason. I'm not there and I need to get an attorney involved in the estate planning side and guardianships for younger kids and making sure you have a will and a trust. So we'll, we'll tackle that in the future, but evaluate this as a way to put money aside, not just for yourself, for your business to keep yourself at least cash flowing in the form of a disability policy. If you go and break your back, skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing, whatever it might be, you decide to start, spelunking or something you need to make sure you have all this stuff in order before you do it pretty sure all those are excluded causes if uh you're underwriting so fyi there but with that chris we always end on a cheers Cheers. and we always say i always say adios okay thanks for having me adios yeah thanks chris everybody uh, you know like subscribe uh craft-advice.com 
um, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, etc. All the different uh, channels that are existing out there. Uh, but everybody, again, thanks again for uh, listening in. We'll uh, we'll see you guys next week. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Jack and Sean work for Senge Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Senge Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Senge Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.